Today, we're going to get after it. Customer questions. Jay's going to say some stuff. He's mildly funny. I'm here with Adam as well. Um, we're going to cover some stuff going on in the industry, but a lot of customer questions on the why we <laughs> do stuff. God damn it. So those are some of your questions. Thomas just got a payroll deduction. Thanks for tuning in. I wonder how big the industry would have grown if it weren't for social media and the ability to flex and show what you got. Because guns are cool. It's not like, Absolutely. hey, man. I mean, I don't even with cars. Like, man, look at these sick-ass tires I've got. Like, <laughs> Or, you know, whatever. Um, just basic things that you would want. Like, I'm old enough to where you didn't have the ability to flex. Like, you had machine guns because you like to motherfucking shoot machine guns. Right. You know, and when I went to the range... Like, I found some pictures and moving some of my stuff from Georgia a few weeks ago, but, you know, and it was taken on film, and I found some photographs of us when we had a machine gun shoot, but there was no video of it. There was no documenting it. You just shot because you really wanted to shoot. Like, there was no way to flex on other people. What are you going to do, buy a magazine ad and put yourself in there with all your guns like an idiot? Well, they had the forums, and people did like picture threads and, you know, show off your guns, and then there were always well, the conversations of which I'm even better. talking pre that. I mean, oh, the yeah. forums with the pictures, because there yeah. were forums, but you couldn't post pictures. In 97, I think, like, I was on Machine Gun News Forum, which is the predecessor to Small Arms Review, and you couldn't post pictures. Like, pictures coming along, that was probably just with AR15.com or something, which is what, like 20 years old, maybe? I don't know. Maybe not even. I don't know. Their interface still looks like it's 20 years old as well. I think yeah, all, I, all forums. Yeah. Like, it's just not evolving. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be cool when there's this throwback and considered vintage and we can have a forum. <laughs> I, I can understand forums a little better. But that the flex part, I think you're right. And I mean, especially now, too, where no one can really afford to shoot, especially with ammo. It's all just about let me take pictures mm -hmm. of what I have. I'm guilty. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Grant, like any opportunity I get to take a picture of a cool gun, I'm trying to do it. But Really? I, I just do it, I think, for for social media for the company. Mm. Otherwise, I would never take pictures of any of the stuff, but I would shoot every single day. Mm. Well, you've talked about too that, I mean, you kind of just touched on it a little bit, but the most of the time or for a long period of time of you coming up in the industry, people weren't as interested necessarily or outwardly as interested in it as they are now. And so now you have kind of an opportunity, especially with your, your personal Instagram, where you can break out some of these cool, cool things yeah. and kind of teach people about them. So that's a different yeah. opportunity. And I don't take it as like when I read the stuff that you've been posting about, like the cool silencers and all that it doesn't look like flexing. It's like a you're it's educational. Yeah, I, I want to educate. And there's a couple things like the selfish reasons for me to do it um, increases the value probably of my collection. But also, you know, I'm just trying to pimp the stuff, awareness, get people interested. It helps cue, but also like the book coming up, you know, and I hope the book series of silencers, um, it's going to help with a lot of things and hopefully it helps the company. But yeah, I mean, it's not like, oh, I have this silencer. I mean, literally, I think tons of people are interested in my historical silencers, but there's only like five people that would buy them. Right. Like it's not that it has tremendous like value from a financial perspective. Um, but hopefully it can use it, you know, as foundation. Cause when I think about it, when I hear people talk to me about guns or silencers and I am a student of this by far 
you know, I am not the most knowledgeable person about firearms or silencers or anything by a long shot, but I do have tons of experience and I do know more than the average guy that's into guns now. And I, and I have like a, a serious deep rooted interest, um, with the silencers, uh, you know, I have hundreds of silencers and I wouldn't sell them for millions of dollars and they're probably not worth hardly anything. I mean, the Maxim stuff, some of the stuff is, but the other things, you know, it's important to me because it was a failed project for a military unit. <clears throat> and in my mind, when you, when you guys asked me about something that we did for the Mark 13, like we were talking about earlier, oh, well, fuck, I forgot that. And we did that because we did this and it didn't work. And oh, look, I have one right here and this is where it failed. And, you know, so for me, it's just kind of part of my history. You know, it would have been interesting to have social media like 30 years ago when I started in guns because all, all you had, there weren't, you think everybody flexes now on the accessories mm -hmm. and I'm guilty of it. And, you know, I do it to get free stuff too, but they, um, like everybody just had a Glock and a basic AR. There weren't flat tops. There were no optics on them. There were no, uh, full, you know, railed four ends. There were there was nothing special about anybody's guns. We just all had a 22. We all had a Glock. We all had an AR 15. We all had a Remington 700 and 308 with a little pulled Mark four on it. Like you didn't have anything special. No one else had. And I think it's cool too, that like you have the exposure to all these cause you've done, you've walked down all the different avenues that you've walked down in your, your time in the industry. And you, I think other people who have that, I think there's a crossroads where it's like a, I can either just post the pictures and flex or I can do some sort of, I can do some educational stuff with it. And, and I think that's the, the point I was trying to make about your personal oh. Instagram is that you have a lot of stuff that most people, a lot of stuff that you can only see in museums. And yeah. instead of just posting a picture of it and basically being like, I've got this and you don't, you expand on it. Part, part of it started with, you know, some of the haters and stuff and they'll, and a lot of them are very knowledgeable, but then it, there's a cutoff. You know, if you're 25 years old and you've been super in the industry for 10 years, like I sold my last company more than 10 years ago. So all the knowledge you have prior to that is you heard it from someone who heard it from somebody who saw something one time. Right. Like you don't know. And, you know, for me, that's part of the interest of the historical stuff for me too. Um, say whatever you want. I was there. I was involved. Here's the stuff. Here's what really happened. Yeah, what this idiot's saying, this part's true, but this and this are not true. And here's actual a photograph of it. And, you know, talk about it. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, and, and it's good for me as I'm starting to do writing for the book and all to kind of go through this because, you know, it lays dormant. Like, I forget about a lot of these things until, like, I start digging through these bins of parts and silencers. And, you know, it reminds me of things. I mean, I know Ethan and I have the conversation every time we hang out and have a beer and something will come up that we forgot about, you know, like we didn't even remember doing it. It's like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, why did we do that? And then Ethan will remember one part. And then I remember a part and we start kind of weaving it back together or things that we would have both forgotten. And that's kind of why it's important. Like Ethan's a bit of a hoarder too, but for me, because as time goes on, we're going to forget about this stuff. And it's important for me with Q cause I didn't do a good job at advanced armament. I want us to have a, a, a a real timeline in the new facility of all the products from the beginning, because it doesn't seem like we're going to forget about some things we changed on the fix early on or the honey badger or the silencers. But if we have those pieces, 
you know, it, it's always going to be locked in time and there will be, you know, something everybody can trace and we can understand why we did this. Because I guarantee you, you know, Nick, the head engineer on the fix, you know, that's consumed him for five years. And he's probably already forgotten some stuff he did. But definitely in 10 years from now, he's going to forget some of the reasons that something's done a certain way. So, sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think I think that's pretty interesting. And then it's the demographics and everything with the industry and social media and just, like, Snapchat, like, any news of any gun thing that happens and sparks all this political stuff. Um, but, you know, I've said it a hundred times before, but when I was a kid working in the gun store, 35 to 55-year-old blue-collar white dude was your only customer. And how different that is now. And to me, that's like a wonderful thing. And I do love seeing like all the incredible liberal interest in firearms now that they're afraid they're going to be banned. Right. It it seems like kind of a catch 22 where as a community, I think everyone, you want more people to be, I think the biggest issue is that there's been a lack of education on firearms. I think that's the biggest, we don't have a gun issue. We don't have, I think there's a lack of education. So it's cool to see people want to get involved and want to learn. But in the same hand, there's a lot of misinformation that gets spread just because people don't know. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize if you've never really been interested in it and you, I don't know, you know, I'm 20 something years older than you, but like going through school, it was made clear to me that it was a right to have a firearm. Like even in public school, like when we, you know, went through the constitution, the amendments, like this is your right and this is why. And I remember my teachers teaching it that way, but I think now it's almost under the guise of it's a privilege and the government should decide what guns you should have. And it's like, there is no way you read the second amendment and think that that is a privilege and the government should control it. And it controls, uh, the type of firearm that you should be able to have that, you know, it's a privilege and you don't really need that. And it's like, Oh my God, this is why we had a revolution in the first place. Like, shut up. Well, I mean, even in my experience, it wasn't it wasn't really one way or the other. Obviously, we're taught about the Constitution, but growing up, I was super into guns just on my own. Um, oh, yeah. And then it wasn't something that, like, I didn't go to school and talk about it. Like, it wasn't something, it yeah. just wasn't spoken about. So, because huh. it wasn't a cool thing, it wasn't whatever. Well, I was growing just Growing up in Maine, too, like, I grew up in a, in a big city. Right. So maybe that was different. But, you know, I look at it and people ask me, um, different things like why I didn't go to engineering school. And part of me is like, God, oh, I wish I wish I'd gone to engineering school, but then I'm afraid like I, I'm mechanical enough. And I think it would change the way that I think creatively if I'd gone to engineering school. And I think the same thing with art school, like I love all kinds of art and design. I don't care if it's architecture. Um, if it's, you know, printed art, like all media is like, I just love art and design. And if I'd gone to art school, I would probably feel very differently about it. And, I, and, and the point is, I'm glad that I grew up with a family that didn't have guns. and was kind of anti-gun. And it's something that I came to on my own. You know, when I was young, if you would ask me if somebody should be able to own a machine gun or something, I'd be like, hell no. Right. Like, you know, I was just ignorant. Um, so I, I, I enjoy, like my journey and process through this. And I think it gives me a better understanding where like you, if I'd grown up where my whole family had guns, it would, you know, I think I definitely would have felt like that. It's definitely my right. And how could you question it? But 
me growing up without them, I kind of thought guns were bad when I was young. And then in school, actual school, public school learning that that's our right. And the reason we have it is like tyrannical government and to be afraid. And, you know, then I just got into firearms in my late teens and, you know, just fell in love. But I, I appreciate that journey because I think it gives me a perspective that I wouldn't have if I'd grown up with a family with firearms or whatever. Yeah, one thing you said that stuck with me, you said it a few, it was one of the earlier episodes that we kind of started doing, is that you were talking about the book and how doing this book, like you said earlier, made you remember a lot of stuff that you had and it also got you excited about it again. Yeah. And that was a big thing. I've had the discussion with a few people. Is like growing up, I was super interested in guns and history and everything. Um, and when the military didn't really think about it, like it wasn't like a thing that I thought about got out and I was back into guns. I worked at SIG. I got a job at SIG and I was like, yeah. this is going to be awesome. And through not necessarily a direct knock at SIG, but through the time that I worked there, I completely lost the like passion for guns. And I was, comp I just didn't just because of how it was there. Um, I just didn't care anymore. And then coming to Q completely reignited that and like got me back into it. I understand. You, you know, I think SIG probably, and I don't know, we'll let Adam speak to this, and I think he may feel the way you did. But I think when Ethan started at SIG, you know, Ethan, even as young as he is, he was the first degreed engineer that ever worked at SIG in America. So when he went to work there and was an intern there when he was in college, like the head of engineering wasn't an engineer, which, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think like Eugene Stoner has an engineering degree either, I don't believe. But he's pretty special. Yeah. But thinking, I think SIG at the time was probably like Q. You know, and it was fun. And, and that's a question that we had that I have in here. So we'll just skip to it right now. So, Adam, I want to ask you. You respond to this. And then also, uh, the question is, how, what is the right size for Q to be? Because I think what happened with SIG is it just grew to where right. they didn't manage it correctly. And it just became a corporate job to where if you love guns and you dream of working at a gun company. And SIG, I will say still, it's probably one of the better ones. Yeah. You go to work there. You will more than like, if you went to work there because you want to work at a gun company, more than likely you won't stay and you're going to wish you had never done it. Uh, that's a tough question. Uh, I think it depends. So when I worked there, there were 500 employees. It was so uh, mostly a quarter the size it e is now. Exeter and Epping was the academy. Mm -hmm. And it was a great time. Yeah. I loved every second of it. And then the company started winning some contracts and just growing commercially. Um, throwing out different color skews of all the different things, calling it a new product. Oh. And then it started to get not fun. Uh, yeah. But I was kind of shielded from that because I was in the special weapons group. Well, I was in the test group. Oh, that's group. true at that time. Yeah, special and then I was weapons. In the special weapons group. So we were doing cool, innovative, new things with like a target customer in mind. And we were doing kind of what we wanted to do. Um, yeah. Well, so for those listening, um, uh, special weapons was kind of the skunk works, a, a special group inside of SIG that was isolated from everything else. You couldn't yep. even enter that part of the facility mm -hmm. and worked on all the military government, like super cool prototype, interesting things that weren't necessarily geared towards commercial stuff. Yeah. And it, it all eventually became, for the most part, became a commercial product. Um, yeah. MCX. You know, the, the 516, uh, the, yeah. the MCX was originally a 516 uh, mm -hmm. variant, and then we put a folding stock on it. Um, MPX uh, silencers kind of came out of that department because of certain uh, contracts we needed. So 
So I was pretty shielded from that. So to answer your question about what's the right size for Q, it all depends on who's in charge of each department and the processes that are put in place and, you know, kind of sucking the fun out of what we do and keeping it exciting. So that's, that's a very hard thing to control and manage. I agree. You know, my response was going to be, you know, like right now, see, I'm reignited at Q again because like every time we reach a milestone, like you can either get complacent, but you know, for me, I always want to like, my mind is let's conquer the world. Mm -hmm. But so, okay, now we don't have those worries anymore. We got to get to this next thing. And that's super exciting for me. But you know, as we start to divide the company up into like real categories and groups and you know, different departments, it, it it's like some of it, I think SIG could have done a better job at, and it's what I hope we can do to maintain the culture as a company grows, but there's still that element of like, you know, you're in, you're in your own little group and club and you know, everyone and you hang out and it's not, you know, like SIG, it's almost in my time there starting in 2014, February, I think, um, you know, it was all about numbers mm -hmm. and the entire company. And so there was started to become a shift, which you saw probably even within special weapons where we're just, we're, we don't worry about money. We're doing these cool things. We're going to develop this next generation products. But then it became, oh, we've got this big monster to feed. We get this new big building. We buy $20 million in machines. We hire 300 people. You got to keep them busy and it becomes about the numbers and the numbers are important for production. But for me, it's, um, cause it is interesting. Like we could grow so much right now just on this political wave, but staying true to what we want to do, the highest quality stuff and innovative stuff, build a brand. And I think at least for our employees, you know, that's, that's the passion. Mm -hmm. Like if, you know, it's great, we can all make more money and everybody could, and that's wonderful. But if we just focus on the numbers, mm -hmm. it totally sucks the fun out of everything. Yeah, I mean, you have to have goals, right? Yeah. You have to have a direction where you want to go, but to, and I'm not saying one company does this or, or another, everybody probably does it to some extent, but cutting corners just to hit those goals for the sake of hitting those goals yeah. for what looks good on paper. Like it's okay to miss your goals. As long as you learn from it, you change what you did so you can hit the goal next time. Like yeah. use it as a learning experience instead of a, a punishment if you don't hit the goal and nobody's going to get bonuses if we don't hit this, this number. And that's just... It's bad for pretty much, I think, every aspect of a company. Yeah, morale, people start covering stuff up. I will, not to cut you off, but like I will say that the biggest difference for me from being at, because I got, I was at SIGIT in 2015. Mm -hmm. So I got the tail end of when, I mean, they were growing. There were almost a thousand employees in 2015. And, mm -hmm. but they were still doing things for the employees. Like at the outings, they were still giving us everything, like mm -hmm. all the stuff. And then they took on a bunch of people very rapidly and you started to see the huge disconnect between the employee and the product. Yeah. And that was the big, I think that's what aided in me kind of just the, not caring. The about leadership anymore. started to really want to isolate themselves from the employees. You know, like for me, when I come to Q and even when it was 11 people and, you know, we've grown a bunch since then, it's like, I want, you know, I, I come there, I have a meeting with you me, you know, we deal with marketing stuff, but I want to go see everyone in the company and every part of the company. I want to touch everything, know what's going on and not to be like the prison warden. It's like, I 
expect and believe that everyone wants to produce the best product. That's how we're going to build the best brand. And as we grow the company, we have the different departments. The hope is we get good leadership in all of those. And you can keep that culture in a small feel, a family feel, but we, the company has to grow. You're growing or you're dying, but how can we maintain that culture? And it can't be, you know, me, putting my office, you know, on the top floor and isolated from everyone and having, you know, tab the guard dog at my office to where no one can come in without going through her and an appointment. Like, I hope I don't ever have an office Mm -hmm. there. Like, I hope I never have an office again. Yeah. Like I come up there, I want to be in shipping, receiving. I want to be handling guns that are about to ship out to make sure everything looks the way, you know, because my job now is probably to, maintain and secure a future for the brand, grow the brand. And that's all encompassing. So, you know, there's things like with manufacturing, that part of operations, we have to be, we can't, you know, you know, fly loose as much in that part as we can with the creative side of the company. So like understanding that and engineering and creative is always just going to cost us money. Yeah, of course. And you got to feed the creative beast. Yeah. And so we got to do that. And then the expectation is we're going to make it the greatest place in the world to work. And I don't even have to say it, but we're going to have these projects and goals every year and you're going to develop the greatest product, but also, you know, not for you to get a bonus. And that part is great for everybody, but to where you are so proud, Mm -hmm. you know, when I see when there's something going on with, with, uh, one of the products and then I see the engineers there every every night until 10 o'clock at night, making sure everything got sorted out. You know, that's wonderful. There's nothing mandated about that. It's those guys care about every single product that goes out because, you know, they're, they're invested in the product and then in the company. And that's what's going to help the growth of the company. And, you know, for me, it is different. Like I used to just think about just the product and I love product and product guy, but it's really the company and the brand that we have to, we have to develop the best brand. Um, and that means the most innovation and the highest quality, and that's the best customer service. Yeah. So just kind of a couple points you said, I forget what you said, actually, the so, well, something about a disconnect, um, a disconnect between the product and the customer, the, uh, the employee employee. Yeah. When you're a thousand people, 1500 people, it's very hard to maintain that connection because you're starting to hire people. Like as you start to grow, you can't hire people that are personally invested in the product. Like right. that many people probably don't exist in our industry right. in this area, especially if at SIG, if you get hired as the whatever, if you get hired as a machine operator, mm-hmm. you're only ever going to do that. You're not going to do stuff with, but th- and that's important though, because you want people like they're making a part out of metal that has to meet a print and their personal investment is perfection on right. that part on that machine. So that's okay. They shouldn't necessarily care about, Oh, it's, it's a complete fix at the end of the day yeah, yeah. down the line, their interest is okay to be lost. You know, right. as long as they're focused on that one part, well, taking pride in their job, right? Like you want to produce the best part. And I, right. I think there's some people you can never motivate to really care about that. Mm-hmm. And I think there are people that you can, I think we've been through a few mm-hmm. of people who you just, you just can't, they don't care mm-hmm. enough. And you know, we don't need to change that. There's plenty of people who are wired in my opinion to, want to take pride in their work, but Mm -hmm. they do need the opportunity and the culture and the appreciation of doing it. And to me, it's even like a mandate and we don't need to change people. You know, you come in, you do it, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a job to you. You're not going to go the extra mile to make sure everything's great. Just probably not a good fit at our company. Yeah, especially at our size. But, you know, as we grow, you know, you talked about you wanted to you want to walk around the company. You want to see everybody. You want to talk to everybody. You want to touch everything and just make sure it's perfect. And as you should. Um, but th- it's a fine line between that and micromanaging. Not calling a micromanager. Yeah. But um, when people at the bottom of the totem pole see that behavior from you it should be appreciated but it's also we don't necessarily want the bottom of the totem pole people trying to be involved in every aspect of the company we want them to be focused on what they're doing on a yeah. daily and so it, it's maintaining that balance and yeah but uh, you know i think people even at entry-level positions um it's important for me personally and, and and i say personally but really for the brand i believe just my opinion mm-hmm. um but you know, like owning the place, then in my opinion carries a lot of weight mm-hmm. is that they are appreciated just as much as you 100%. or you or anybody else. Yep. Um, they're just as important there as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just put up the money so I get to make the decision, 100%. but I, I don't feel that, you know, I'm more important. It's mm-hmm. like my vision of what we want is important, mm-hmm. but you know, I want things to the products to turn out a certain way. And and so that is an obligation from the engineers that I feel they have to me in response. They get, you know, to work on things that they love, they get employment, they get paid, like Mm -hmm. all all the benefits of being working somewhere and they have an obligation. It's not, and it is to me, but it's to the company. And I think it goes all the way down. I mean, you know, I get involved in shipping, receiving, like I, cause and it's for the customer and, and that's what I want people in shipping and receiving to understand that's great for you to make me happy. But all I want is when a customer, every time a customer opens a gun box or even a plan B mm-hmm. that it's a great experience for them. And sometimes that's some minutia that to a lot of people doesn't matter. And to some people they can't even see, but I have a vision of how I want our company represented and everything from our online presence to the product to the packaging, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want everything to be the best. I want it to be interesting. I want it to be beautiful. I want it to work the best. Uh, like, you know, and, and to me, I think that's why I stay excited because I'm never going to be completely happy. And, and I don't want to be like the tyrant that's like on everyone's ass. Like I want to try to get everyone to understand, you, you know, like the vision that I have and I think what the consumer wants and what allows us to do more with a smaller group and, you know, create the best value because that, I mean, that ends up great for the employee. We have a higher pay scale, get more time off. There's more benefits. There's all these great things because you know what I want from an employee. Like I know, like I don't care how much money anyone makes at our company. Um, but I want them to be efficient Mm -hmm. and they need to do a good job and it needs to benefit the company. I would love to pay everyone a million dollars a year. Be great. And if we can get there, that's great. Like I'm not greedy, share the money. Um, and and we could potentially do it. I don't know, probably not, but, um, it would, it would be fine with me, but everybody needs to take that approach to the company for us to be successful. And by successful to me, like we're plenty successful for a company, but I want to be the greatest brand and company ever in our industry, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's a tall order. Cause you know, when I think about, when I think of that, I think of H and K Knights armament, like these aspirational companies that have done incredible things. 
And not only, like if we just looked at manufacturing, I don't know, maybe Ruger is the best manufacturing company in the world. We could never do that. That's just one aspect of it. You know, HK, their quality, their innovation, their design, their engineering. And when you see a product, like I brought it up the other day when I was uh, two days ago, I think I told you, I think I even asked you to go look at them. Uh, I went into fix assembly. They're building the fix rifles and the bolt body and the bolt and the extra, they had like bolt body assemblies and I picked it up and oh, almost brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> it was so beautiful. I looked at it and I said, you know, and I love Savage, Ruger, Sig. Mm. I, I just fucking love guns. But I was like, this could never be an American, like this is an HK part. And, and I mean it, it is like the biggest compliment to HK and our machinist, mm-hmm. our engineers, everyone involved. When I looked at that, even compared to the parts two years ago in the fix, it looks like we bought that part from H and K. And I mean that it would the most respect to H and K. Like that's the company that I aspire to like conquer in our industry. Yeah. And that's just going just a little extra mile on attention to detail in the design process. Make sure the prints are good holding our vendors accountable. So all the way from design to quality control, shipping and receiving, everybody just does that little extra mile and our parts are just going to be a little bit better than the next person. When you put all that together in a single product, that's when you have a premium product. I I agree. I think when it starts with design, we Mm -hmm. design the better stuff. When we make a better product, when the marketing is better, the customer service. And again, like I don't ever want a room of customer service people, which we're going to have eventually. Mm -hmm. It'll drive me nuts. Mm -hmm. But most of it, oh, there's another question in here. So we're going to get into these pretty quick because we're starting to get into all these questions. But um, the best, again, the best customer service we provide anyone is the best product where we never hear from them. That is number one. Mm-hmm. Like to me, I, I can't, I don't know, I always reserve the right to change my mind, but I can't imagine changing my mind on that one. Like make the best product. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing that I do a bad job of is really like, being in charge of marketing is the conversion process of the ignorance of some of the innovation, the products that we do to educating people on mm-hmm. it. And that's great where we do this and we posted questions. So I want to get into those now yeah. is because, you know, we get jaded and we're into this for so long. We've been building the fix for almost five years and the honey badger for four years. And there's people that just heard about us last week. And Although I harp on tapers and that becomes a thing. Well, I harp on it because it's super important and I wish everyone would do it. And I see some of the biggest haters now are using our taper and their silencers on their rifles, which to me means I'm doing a better job than I thought. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, the engineers did a great job and now I'm starting to convince people of things. So I want to go over some of the questions. I think this is important too, because especially since, since kind of, integrating into reading the questions that we get like being a part of the dms and the social media and all that for us we've all been in the industry or we've all been into guns forever whatever so you see some of the questions you're like man what an idiot mm-hmm. but then i'm like oh well this some people will preface it with like hey i'm just getting into guns and i see that a lot now and i think it's awesome I i'm think, sorry this is a stupid question yeah but yeah those but, are the best questions yeah and it brings like it's cool because it kind of brings us back down to the to the beginning where it's yeah like, well here let mm. like let me tell you and, about and, it and why that's, we rehash a, this over and over that's a stupid preface to a good question right yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah basically <exactly>. yeah <laughs> yeah so um you know like one question was like why are you so copied 
And, you know, to me, this is, this is the response. It's like, we're so copied because it's correct. Like when we talk about the taper on the muzzle or on the barrel, and we talk about the taper on the muzzle device, it's the right thing. Mm -hmm. It's the right thing to do. And that's why we do it. And that's why we're so copied. You know, there, there is nothing in a taper that is, uh, that we invented that smart every lathe, every mill that everybody uses to put a square shoulder on their barrel uses a taper. Why doesn't your machine use a square shoulder? Because it's stupid. Don't use it. Your silencer comes loose and you don't get alignment. There is a concentricity tolerance for thread. So if you just have a square 90 degree shoulder, every time you thread the silencer on, it's in a slightly different position. And that's why thread silencers suck. They come loose. I had it. Taurus, the CEO, I don't even know who he is. He sent me their new pistol. It's awesome. Shout out. That pistol is awesome. Yeah. I love it. I went and shot it. I'm not sure I like it as much as my Hammerly, but it's I like it better than the Smith & Wesson 41 that I paid $1,350 for. I like it better than the Ruger Mark uh, 4 or 2245, which I really like. Um, the Browning Buck Mark, everything. Any Ruger Mark 1, 2, 3, 4, 2245. I like guns. it better than all those. Yeah, and they're great guns, but this is better. That Taurus, and I was not expecting because I've never been proud to own a Taurus. Sorry, CEO, if you're listening, until now. And it That's changed it. my mind. Whoever they have now doing the engineering and design, keep him or yeah. if I find him, I'm going to hire him away from you. Yeah. And you shouldn't apologize for that. Like that's a huge compliment to Taurus. What you yeah. said, like that's a good thing. I think so. And company wide, like the quality of it was great. And it's the, the for listening, we'll pop it up on the screen and, or the link. Is that what you're supposed to say? Put it in the link below. Yeah. We um, the, the TX 22 competition. So it takes the, the red dot and it's on the barrel, which mm -hmm. is smart rather than the slide which is stupid fixed barrel 22. yeah so, so you can yeah. put it on the um the, it's a striker fired gun it the trigger is phenomenal for that yeah comes with a threaded barrel it, needs a taper because my silencer came loose while i was shooting which pissed me off because mm -hmm. i'm shooting and i was like this thing is so accurate because i can tell a difference in my hammerly the accuracy with that and my 2245 the hammerly is better and so i'm shooting groups and um, I got I got a one MOA RMR on it. I think it's one MOA. It's, it's small, so I'm shooting little groups. But you know, towards the end of my session, I'm like, my groups doubled in size, and I'm like, huh, maybe I'm getting tired. Whatever, made an excuse, load another mag, shoot. And I'm like, yeah, it's not me. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the silencer was loose. Needs yeah. a taper. Mm -hmm. Taper works. Yeah, the whole the whole copying thing, like. We did it because it's the right thing. Other people are doing it because they realize it's the right thing. You know, the first person that made a, a machine with a taper on it, they were the first person to do it. And then everybody else followed suit because it's just the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and it's and, as and simple as that. The tapers are. And we provide the drawings on the website for everyone. So all you gun companies that are hating or silencer companies, do like, uh, you, you know, our little hater Paco and mm -hmm. put put our taper in your silencer. It's, it's the right thing to do, even if you're a douche. Yeah. And if you do something different and it's better and it's the right thing to do, Chances are good we'll probably do it too. So we'll copy them? Well, we'll do it because it's the right thing. I will be disappointed in our engineering if they don't figure it out <laughs> 100%, first. 100%. I agree but with yeah, that. But, yeah, I agree. You know. Yeah, because we, we're going to owe some of these companies. Like, I almost want to copy some products, whether it's CGS or Dead Air, just because, like, they copy us to, to an embarrassing degree hmm. where they'll post. Haters will say it's a copy. 
I wish they would do something good we could copy just to be assholes. But um, so okay, so here's another thing that I get question on eight six. So I can't see it now, Jay. What all does this say? It says barrel change only. Yeah. So it's four three oh eight base guns or six five, and it's just like three hundred blackout barrel change only. You don't need a bolt or a new mag or anything. Oh, you got yeah round. So uh, yeah. So it's like a three thirty eight and a six five shortened case. Barrel change only. What else you got? Not Super. for the mini fix. Did you say that? I didn't say that. It's not for no, the mini yeah. fix. Nope. It's for the full size fix. Three oh eight base guns. Mm-hmm. Big guns. Uh, super and subsonic. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you get the super and subsonic, just like 300 blackout. That's why it's called 86 blackout. Yeah. And that was a big decision on our part. What do we name it? Right. It was going to oh, be God. 338 Creedmoor. We were going to call it 86 Cosby. <laughs> Still the best. <laughs> I, know, I wish we went with that. And, uh, <laughs> That's so good. But 86 blackout, that was a. The story's already been told. People are just still learning about 300 blackout. Yeah. What it is. So calling it blackout only continues to tell the same story. And the yeah. people that understand it will understand this. If it, if it wasn't for educational purposes, the mm-hmm. ease of people understanding blackout, oh, that means 300 mm-hmm. blackout, super subsonic, full yeah. mag capacity, barrel change only, blah, blah, blah. It totally would have been 86 Cosby. Oh, sure. oh my God, greatest name ever. Mm-hmm. Shout out. I think, was that Nick? Nick? Uh, it seems like a Nick. Nick joke. or Drew. Yeah. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. Seems like a Drew thing, actually. Yeah, it does seem like very much like a Drew <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty good. But I don't know if he's old enough to understand the Cosby thing. Well, it was in the news recently. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Um, Not while it was happening, you know. But, um, yeah, it's very easy to say from an educational standpoint, 300 blackouts, bigger brother. Yeah. Yep. Um, it says full mag capacity. So mm-hmm. full mag capacity. Cause you know, there's a lot of good killing rounds, which talk about a lot and whether it's uh four fifty eight SOCOM, even six, eight SPC, uh, three seventy five Raptor, 30 Remington AR, all these cartridges that are good, but you have to have a delivery system, meaning you have to have a mag and you have to have a gun. But when you start altering the magazine or limiting mag capacity, excuse me, the reliability just goes in the shitter. So th- that's an objective to us. Full mag capacity. Yes. The big one is fast twist. Fast. Tw- oh, fast twist. I'm so excited about fast twist. Faster twist. <laughs> so here's the thing. Cause I had some douche on YouTube comment on a video the other day saying, I keep saying it gives you more velocity going fast twist, which is absolutely false. And I have never said that. However, it is also true rotational velocity, mm-hmm. spinning the bullet faster does not give you linear velocity increase. It doesn't affect it. It's not slower, mm-hmm. but fast twist gives you several things. Number one, if you're using a big, long subsonic bullet, it stabilizes it better. So you get better accuracy, but the fast twist really gives you greater energy because you spin the bullet faster. You get rotational velocity increase. So if I shoot you with a hollow point, you got to, so the hollow point expands because of linear velocity, but rotating it faster also makes the bullet open up easier. So that's cool, especially if you're using solid coppers. But you, so the body or the target has to stop the bullet. So that's an energy dump, dump into the target. So that's from linear velocity, but you also have to stop a bullet from spinning, which is rotational velocity. And we talked about it last week with David Stark. Yeah. Um, and he, he said it, he said it best, like yeah. the blender. The blender. I know yeah. I, my daughter put that in a video oh, good. The, uh, of yeah. me shooting the 8.6. Mm. Um, but that's where you see, like if you see, uh, and, and we'll post it up because I got a picture of it, um, an 8.6 bullet 
with the fast twist barrel, rather than the pedals just expanding, they expand and they're twisted. Mm -hmm. And that is also an energy transfer. And now I have shot animals with eight, six, and I can tell you a a 12 inch, 12 and a half inch, eight, six. I shot that 600 pound nil guy at 225 meters. It's like I shot it with a 300 ultra mag or 300 wind mag. And I had 2000 feet of linear velocity but we had a one in three twist. So we're creating so much more energy and putting it into the target and, you know, 600 pound animal that is incredibly durable, 60 meters and was dead. Yeah. Shooting it behind the shoulder. So that's eight, six. You got anything about eight, six, Jay? I'm excited for it. I'm, I know you talked about, uh, you were not necessarily worried about recoil, but it was something that you thought about and you were yeah. surprised by the recoil, oh. surprised by how quiet it was. Even with supers. That's a good point. You know, and it is something that, and I don't know, maybe Pew Science, Jay, our homie, he can do something about that. But um, we have a big hole through the silencer, which is generally not good when you have lower pressure. Um, Like a 45, it was very difficult. The Tyrant 45 that we did at AC was the first hearing safe 45 dry silencer. And it's because it's low pressure and there's a big hole through the silencer. So all the gas wants to escape. So I didn't have like incredibly high expectations um, for the supersonic being very quiet because I've shot, you know, Ethan and I originally started working with 338 Federal, which is what we started this project with. And we ended up with 86 Creedmoor or no, it's 86 Blackout now, all mm-hmm. the name changes. But um, I was expecting it to be loud supersonic and it is so quiet. I almost convinced myself I was shooting subsonic loads and didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a velocity thing when it's only 2000 feet a second, you know, the gases aren't traveling as fast. It's just not producing as much sound as if, you know, we bumped it up and it's going 3000 feet a second. So maybe Jay can get into that one of his podcast or tests. Anyway, not this, my, Jay. my other podcast, Pew Science. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pew, yeah. Pew, the Jay situation. Yeah. Um, our, our homie out there in Texas doing all that testing. Um, okay. So another question. So muzzle taper versus a square shoulder. Mm-hmm. Number one, if you have a tapered muzzle, doesn't loosen. Number two, provides alignment. So a square shoulder only stops something from threading on. A muzzle taper, it's like a funnel. It sends everything to the center. It gives you alignment just like machine tools we talked about. A lot more surface area. Yeah, yeah. tons more surface area. So it requires our taper requires 20% more force or torque to remove it than to install it yeah. so it means like your wife can install it and torque it on as hard as she can you can't get it off so it makes you feel like a weakling so that's a great thing so you can even shoot full auto but like my 22 ceo Taurus, appreciate you sent me the other day square shoulder had a taper on it and we made an end cap for the erector that was tapered silencer wouldn't have come loose i'd have been shooting tight groups the whole damn time so tells me we got to do barrels for 22s with tapers and the erector with the blast baffle being the serialized part, we can do a rear mount that has a taper. Mm-hmm. Talk to the engineering department. So, and then also our tapers. So if it's half 28 or five H 24, our muzzle devices that go onto our barrels are also reverse compatible. So they'll work on square shoulders. So, yep. and yeah. if you have a square shouldered muzzle device silencer or something, and you want to use, or you have a tapered barrel, then you can get a taper adapter and square it up. So there is, yeah. it's not as ideal, but it's reverse compatible in both directions for those yeah. who are worried about that. I mean, you're going to get probably better alignment than you do out of a factory threaded barrel. 
So, Jay, what do we say right here for Taper? You can't read it? Well, yeah. Kevin can't you just read said it. it. He oh. wants you to read it for him. Doesn't loosen, provides <laughs> alignment, reverse compatible, so you covered those. Yes, that's true, Adam, but yeah. also I wanted him to read this funny part. What's oh, it oh, say for sure. a square shoulder down here? Just threads, no alignment, looses 1991 Madonna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the shit comes loose when you thread it on there without thread locker yeah. on a square mm-hmm. shoulder. So 1991 Madonna and... Everyone my age knows exactly what I'm talking about. Dennis Rodman. Holla. Um, all right. So this is another one. People asking about all the time. So the fix. You get 8.6, you get 3.08, you get 6.5. So the the fix. Not necessarily in that order. Well, yeah. This has nothing to do with the order. You're absolutely <laughs> correct. It's like, you know, a, a ascending diameters. Uh, oh, sure. Descending. Um, but anyway, that's the full-size fix, 308 base. 8.6 does not go into the mini fix. The mini fix, 300 blackout, 223 Remington, um, 6.5 Grendel or what, whatever, you know, 9 by 39. This AR mags, mini fix, AR mags. The fix, SR25 mags, 308, big things. So that's that. Hey, I'm Kevin from Q. This episode of the Q&Ask podcast got a motherfucking sponsor. Tactical distributors, you're on fire. They carry all kinds of cool shit, man. I got my fancy tiger stripe summer pants here that everybody loves. I skate in those. I go to the club in those, pulling honeys all day. If I actually wore, you know, anything to go in my pool or hot tub, it'd probably be these board shorts. They're also tiger stripe. Things like these Ultima boots, the maritime boot that are awesome. I don't even know what that means. But these are summertime hunting boots, thin sole, like skate shoes. They're lightweight. They breathe. They repel the water. A cool thing about tactical distributors. All right, number one, cool motherfuckers. Number two, their return policy, simple, easy. I never know because I got like the fat feet. So this could be a 10 and a half, could be an 11. I don't know. Older two sizes. I pick one, send it back. It's no trouble. Get a little label, send it back. Cost me no money. Tacticaldistributors.com. Promo code, I don't know what you call it. Whatever code at the end. All right? Unpossible15. Unpossible15 gets you 15% off. Tacticaldistributors.com. Give them a look. Next question. Jay, can I kick it? Yes, you can. Yes, I can. (laughs) No ETAs ever. Why not, Jay? Well, it doesn't matter. That's right. Also, shit happens. Shit does happen. We... Our Q, we're not SIG. And we or just, any other company. Yeah. Who? And we release it when it's ready. We're not going to have you guys test it for us. That's right. So uh, send your ETA questions um, to your mom. To Jay at LiveCure.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's funny because now it's a real email address. I yeah. know it is. <laughs> That's a good Jay's fucked. Yeah. Uh, Q, literally the best trigger ever. Yeah. What does it say over here? Adam, can you read that? I can't read that. It says drop in for the AR in particular, the 15. So the new trigger is a drop mm-hmm. in. The fix does not use an AR trigger. No, it does not. Nope. It's got its own trigger system. Mm-hmm. So the trigger that we're doing was, uh, which Adam's spoken to before, but it, it's kind of a supply chain bottleneck kind of issue that we did. And so we decided to dedicate ourselves, developed the literally the best trigger ever for the AR. And it's probably going to be available. Uh, well, we're not giving ETAs, but um, I don't know if it's going to go in the guns first or it'll be in a uh, 
just uh, as an accessory sale first. I think that's kind of TBD depending on how our supply chain looks because the last thing we want to do is bottleneck gun production. Facts. So, yeah, so we'll see. But uh, it's, it's not far out. It's so not maybe, far out. Maybe it'll be available for current honey badger or sugar weasel owners first as accessories, not exclusively, but well, for them. Well, you, you handle the logistics of I'm that. I'm not going to control that. But. That's Jay's job now. Yeah, robot dance yourself guy. over there. Yeah. <laughs> Doing logistics. Tag it on. Yeah. Doing logistics. But I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from that question is the fix and the mini fix do not use an AR trigger. Our they, new trigger is not. for the AR slash M4 platform. Yes. Ever heard of it? Should we get into like compatibility? Did we talk about that? High shelf versus low shelf lowers. It works in all lowers. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can put the safety. I'm old school. They were all low shelf. Yeah. You can put the safety on with the hammer dropped. Like oh, a, that is a cool feature. So let's think about, about that, that guys, with the AR, yeah. when the hammer's dropped forward, you cannot put the safety on. Seems a little lame. With ours, you can. So why do you like it? I, 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 it's a cool feature, and it's like a free feature. It's not for everybody. Well, for me, I would never care, but if I'm shooting with my kids or teaching someone, mm-hmm. I like for myself the visual indicator the gun's on safe. For mm-hmm. me, when I'm by myself hunting yeah. or shooting, I never use a safety. Mm-hmm. Like just yeah, just don't shoot if I don't mean to. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> don't don't point it at my junk. Like sure. pretty good. Yeah. We talked about it. A little the bit. the maybe the other side of it as why people potentially wouldn't like it. Well, explain, Jay. If you can't put your trigger on traditionally, or I'm sorry, if you can't put your safety on traditionally, it means your gun's the dead. The hammer's forward. Yeah, yeah, your gun's dead. Yeah, it's a good indicator of whether your gun is yeah, ready to go or not. or not. Yeah. So depending on your mindset, like safety standard with the kids, awesome. For uh, real, real world use case. Okay, so yours is a muscle memory argument, which which is uh, valid. Okay, well. well kind of. Well, yeah. No, if I, you were designing from the ground up and the M4 didn't exist, would mm-hmm. you be able to put the safety on at all times? Yeah, that's why it's on the 416. And those are not entry-level people using the uh, 416. Mm-hmm. Yeah, SOPs vary, I think, depending on where you're at. So I think it's just... There's an argument both ways. I'm not, I don't care either way. I think it's a good option. People don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do I, that. I prefer it if I have the option. Yeah. Yeah. I do. It's cool that it's included. Don't I don't have th- to do anything crazy. So. I think it's a feature. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you think in the comments. Comment down below. Let's discuss it. It's going wild down there in those comments. <laughs> Let's get after it. <laughs> what does Grantham say? I'm not going to control you people. It's a cesspool. Yeah, his it's comments are his place. <laughs> his get in there. Yeah. Get some. No, I don't think he says get some. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, doesn't say get no, some. No, he's in the Air Is Force. He? Yeah, they don't say that. No, he's in the Air Force. We're prim proper people. Oh, yeah. I guess Top Gun's but Navy he, pilots. He does yeah. have the most degenerate comment section on the yes. internet. They're, oh, I've never looked at they it. They are not it is. PG-13 <laughs> even. Yeah. They are, it is, it is Well, how does he not get all blocked up, jammed up, shadow banned? Because that's not his, he's not, it's not him doing it. It's the the public. I'm huh. sure there's some comments that get taken down by the moderators. Yeah. Huh. There must be. But yeah, his comment section is known for being a little wasteland. It is. It's entertaining though. Yeah. I was unaware. I just thought it was a little ploy to get people in there, which I thought was pretty savvy. His videos, Grand Thumb, awesome. one of my favorites. Yeah. All right. Well, Adam, I know you're a huge fan of the direct thread silencers with yeah. the taper. Why so? Better alignment, because I don't like 
baffle strikes or end cap strikes. Yeah, those blow. Yeah, they suck. They're hard to fix. Um, I'm also not... I have multiple silencers, which is something to consider. Humble brag. No. It's, <laughs> hey, you said you had hundreds earlier. I think I have seven. Yeah, but that, that's me. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, I'm not taking one silencer, unless it's for like a Gucci picture, which I do sometimes on Instagram. Mm. Um, lots. Lots. I like it. That's yeah, good. You do a good picture. job. Yeah. Great picture. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I like the Sherbert sort of style you got going on now. Yeah, I'm playing All with different pastels. colors. Um, it's cute. Some inspiration from a guy or gal, I guess, named Otto Seer. He's a guy. Very, a guy. very much a guy. I don't very, know. He's got a super it. big beard. He's cool. Oh, I thought you were going to say something right. that confirms he's a guy. Oh, Jesus. Okay, <laughs> so back to this. Well, so yeah. Anyway, so I have multiple silencers. I don't need to take my silencer off and put it on multiple hosts when I go to the yeah. range. So I have multiple direct thread silencers because I knew I wanted silencers and I was willing to invest in, in multiples. Yeah. And so direct thread makes sense to me. I think direct thread does not make sense if you have a square shoulder mm-hmm. and no taper. Yeah. It, it, it They come loose. If you use our taper now, well, SIG uses the taper. HK uses the taper. Some of the silencer companies are using it now. It should be the industry standard for barrels because you get alignment. Did AAC use any tapers? Yeah. So the, the first. Not on the barrels. Yeah. The, yeah, we did. The, oh. fir- the first taper that we did was on the third generation honey badger okay or maybe the second so right around the same time the yeah. third the, the, the ones that were purchased on contract are have tapered muzzles mm-hmm. and direct thread silencers mm-hmm. and then you know ethan would yeah yeah you guys did it for the mcx sure. so same taper yeah um so actually it's kind of the sig taper but it originally is an aac taper mm-hmm. um and and we use the same thing so here's a little piece of art that i did that I love, like I use a lot of our, because taking pictures, mm-hmm. social media, I use a lot of our uh, quickie mount, the cherry bomb silencers. Um, and then I can take the silencer off. I usually have more guns with me than silencers so I can move it around. But also taking a picture to show how well the taper works because of the carbon buildup that uh, accumulates on the cherry bomb. But I am 100% with you. Like, I don't ever shoot without a silencer, so right. it's kind of stupid. If I weren't doing some social media stuff or marketing for the company, mm-hmm. I would just have a silencer for every gun, never have a cherry bomb, always direct thread. Because here's what people need to understand. Here, you have this tolerance and this tolerance. Mm-hmm. Here, with the quickie mount, even though it's the best because we're using tapers, we're not using stupid shims, washers, all this other timing alignment bullshit that gives you misalignment, mm-hmm. you get a taper, a taper inside the cherry bomb mm-hmm. and a taper inside the silencer. Tapers on tapers on Three tapers. tolerances. You're right. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's probably six times worse than this. Like, yeah, this is mo better for alignment. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. I was watching one of uh, the copycat competitors today. They also build rifles. Watched a video on them. And they have a, a removable front end cap insert. So when you inevitably get a baffle strike or an end cap strike, you can replace it easily at home for $20. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's like, number one, you're providing more misalignment out here because your tolerance stack at the muzzle, you do Just keep changing it. Don't worry. And it's like, okay, well, why don't you taper your barrels and your silencer so you don't get end cap strikes? And EDM your silencer. So what are Yeah, they, they also it? don't do that. Are they doing it? And I'm not saying I agree with their choices, but are they doing it for that reason? Or are they doing it as like, a bore reducer. Well, they also claim that. Yeah. So my question is, now, my feeling was it was a marketing feature. Sure. 
with everybody that sells modular front end silencers, if you're wire EDMing your silencer with that front cap on it, assuming you're doing it with the front cap pre-installed for optimal alignment, what happens when you change the front end of your silencer with an accessory or a replacement front cap? You can't guarantee that concentricity anymore. And what people don't realize, if you get the, because there is a tolerance, even with a taper, the concentricity. So if you're talking about your muzzle mm -hmm. and then the silencer, okay, so if you get a little bit there, mm -hmm. if you go out here eight inches, yeah. it's like Compounds, 10 times right. worse. Yeah. So the idea of putting threads there and worrying about that concentricity and it's ridiculous. Yeah, I wonder how they make the, do, do you think they just do the, end caps just by themselves because then it's like what is it concentric to just so it's od i, I would imagine yeah i mean they do the end caps they're already threaded they weld them up this company isn't edming and then they thread something in there and we, i mean we know like yeah. you can say whatever you want you melt that material you're going to get some distortion you're going to get some misalignment mm -hmm. so out at the end so it's not done after the thing is welded it's done before when it's made so then you know and then and their inserts are also aluminum. So the aluminum threads taking it in and out fatigues in the stainless steel. So it's also in a different spot every time you torque it in. Mm -hmm. And ridiculous. even if they were wire EDMing their silencer, the whole modularity of it kind of makes it a moot point, right? Right. As soon as you change it out. Yeah, as soon I as know. you move it from that original configuration where it was yeah. EDM'd, it's no longer that. Well, you know, it's so funny because when Dead Air copied the Erector and did their Odessa 9mm, and Mike Pappas told me they, they didn't copy it. That thing's terrible. Well, the, what he said was they planned to weld it all together to be tubeless, but when they welded it, it was so warped that they couldn't weld it, so they just had to thread it together. So when they asked permission for me to like copy the erector, but even threading it together, you know, the lack of engineering there, they wire the silencer after they do it. So they number every baffle and then the end caps wired. And you can see on ours, like the misalignment, if you take the front end cap out and look at it of where they cut it with a wire and it, all those parts thread together, that all fatigues some. So mm -hmm. like it doesn't all line up the way it did originally. Every time you disassemble it and put it back together. <sighs> so yeah, if you do have one of those modular dumb. cans, do yourself a favor and grab a, a a painted paint pen or something and draw a line across the, the yeah. main points because that way you can see if it's becoming looser. Yeah. Save yourself an instant. Yeah, and when you torque it down, if it, it fatigues mm -hmm. the material and the thread, yeah. and it's a little more every time. And yeah. So then if you wire it, it's only good that one time. Once you disassemble it, put it back together, the the wiring, you d oh, God, I almost want to pay an engineer to go work at dead air, but whatever. Um. Anyway. Twist. So this question comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. Fast twist. Yeah. So we're running fast twist. So here's an example. This what twist means because I got some pretty basic questions, which I appreciate because it tells me some of the audience. And I appreciate them being engaged. They didn't understand what twist meant. So you're rifling. Rifling is a twist. So generally, you see a number. It'll be like a one colon and a ten. So that means there's one twist in ten inches of barrel. Mm -hmm. One rotation. Yeah, one projectile. Yeah. One, yeah. one rotation. Yeah. So we're running fast twists, and this is, would be a standard twist, so it's much slower. So what are the advantages here, and why do we do this? And again, your subsonic, your slow, long bullets, you get better accuracy here. 
and you get more energy. And they're spinning faster, so they'll open up faster and more reliably. And when you say here, you mean the faster twist. Faster twist. For the people on the audio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So with a fat, good point. Mm -hmm. Faster twist. With a slower twist, you don't get that. So subsonic 308 has to be a light bullet because almost all 308s are a 1 in 10, 1 in 11 twist. Very slow. So the long, heavy subsonic bullets are not accurate because they're not being spun very quickly and they don't expand. So they have to make light bullets for subsonic 308 so that it'll be reasonably accurate out of a slow twist barrel and they'll expand. So 308 subsonic is never going to be as good as 300 blackout because we run fast twist and the limited case capacity, you get more consistent standard deviation. Um, You know, for instance, you might get 20 feet a second deviation in muzzle velocity out of 300 blackout subsonic, but out of 308, just because there's so much case capacity when you load subsonic, you don't put much powder in there. So there's a lot of case volume. So it might be 75 feet a second standard deviation of muzzle velocity out of a subsonic 308. And the only reason that matters to you is that difference gives you vertical stringing. And so you can miss your target. So 308 subsonic, it's better than no subsonic, but it sucks compared to something like 300 blackout with fast twist. Fast twist, and again, fast twist doesn't give you more linear velocity, but it really greatly improves the rotational velocity, which is going to give you more energy on target, which kills stuff more better. Yep. And, and you can't have too fast of a twist. I was, I was just so going to say that. If you haven't watched the previous episode with David Stark, check that out because there's a slow-mo video of a expanding subsonic spinning too fast and it opens up at muscle exit. So check that out if you haven't. And that's, and that's bullet design as we move forward. And the way I envision eight, six growing and 300 blackout is people will understand we'll just, we'll develop projectiles just for super fast twist barrels. Like maybe we get to one in one, like we've tested it, but it requires special projectiles because everything's designed to expand Mm -hmm. out of a one in one twist will expand. We stopped at one and three with eight, six, because if you have a bonded bullet or a solid copper with a one and three twist and three thirty eight, it will not expand out of the muzzle. But if we go to one and one, the thing comes apart out of the muzzle. So you got to have special bullets. Yeah. And we're going to do one and one for certain customers and they're going to have very special ammo to use with that. And yeah. there's going to be some reverse compatibility, compatibility issues if they try to use other ammo. Th- that's true. But there'll be professionals, and they should know that. Yeah, and the great thing about that is what 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 it does, this super, super fast twist, a one-in-one twist, which is absurd, it gives you the ability to have a very short barrel and deliver a lot of energy in a light, compact gun. So you kill something more effectively. And, um, yeah, a lot of our products, that's what it's geared towards. So what are the differences in our silencers? Mm. So we have our half Nelson, full Nelson. We have the trash panda and thunder chicken. So they're not exactly, but kind of the same silencers, except the trash panda and thunder chicken attached to our cherry bomb, which is our muzzle device or muzzle brake. And the half Nelson, full Nelson attached directly to barrels. So they have a square shoulder on the back of the silencer, which will go on any 5H24, any threaded 308, 65 gun, 300 blackout gun you've got. But they also internally have our muzzle taper, so they work on our tapered barrel. So these, if you have one of our guns, get the thread mount silencers. They never come loose. Unless, like Adam said earlier, if you want to move the silencer from gun to gun, 
then it's easier to do with the quickie mount. Because, for instance, every one of the Trash Panda or Thunder Chicken silencers comes with a 5H24 muzzle device and a half 28. So you can put these on your 5.56 and all that. And 5.56 is generally threaded half 28. And if you have the half or full Nelson, you can't really install those on the half 28 barrels. But for me, the half Nelson is my favorite because I can put it on my hunting rifle, the rifle I do most of my shooting with, and I eliminate the cherry bomb and all those tolerances. The silencer never comes loose. I have less parts, less weight, less expense. This is great. So these are kind of our two versions of silencers. And we have short length for hunting competition, minimalist, lightest weight, and then we have the the full Nelson and the trash panda, or no, the thunder chicken, which are the quietest offerings. Yeah. The jumbo shrimp goes on a cherry bomb, by the way. It does. Yeah. It's just for people who, yeah. who don't know. Because um, it has the funny name like these. So both the half 28 and the 5 8 24 cherry bombs have 762 diameter bores through them, uh, which is not how we original, originally launched it. So the old um, half 28s had a 223 bore. Yeah. So lessons learned. Yeah, because yeah, people would install yeah. these. We didn't even know there were 30 caliber barrels threaded half 28, and people mm-hmm. would shoot a 300 wind mag yeah, through it. Yeah, some AKs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so moral of the story is check your shit before you shoot it. But also, people ask about it too. It, all of our, like you said, all of our cherry bombs have that 30 cal bore. Now. You can you can shoot mm-hmm. five five six through it. Like you or can shoot a smaller mm-hmm. round. It's or not nine millimeter mm-hmm. for some of the half. Well, well, we yeah. have a half 28 and nine millimeter uh, cherry bomb that's not tapered. Mm-hmm. So don't shoot nine millimeter through your tapered muzzle cherry bombs. That won't end well. So what's up with the cherry bomb? Is there an advantage in your opinion with the cherry bomb inside the trash panda? as a diffuser of sorts versus half Nelson or full Nelson direct thread? Um, diffuser for or sound? Whatever, what, no, just whatever we want to call it. I like mean, I think... Sacrificial blast like baffle. Sacrificial yeah, blast sure. baffle, yeah. like 17.4 instead of titanium. If yeah. you're using short barrels, taking the uh, high-velocity mm-hmm. powder and gas, like, it's better. Is that reason enough to choose a trash band or a thunder chicken over the direct thread? No, not for 308 or 300 blackout. Only if you're really going to use it on 5.56, which you would need anyway. Mm -hmm. If you want to be able to move the silencer from gun to gun, Mm -hmm. get one of our quickie mount, Mm -hmm. Trash Panda Thunder Chicken. If you don't, get one of direct threads. It's more better in every way. I will say our Thunder Chicken on 5.56 sounds very good. Yeah, that's a big silencer. I mean, that's the thing, you Mm -hmm. know, like... We can have all these dorks getting into silencers trying to invent a new baffle, or mm. you can just create some volume. Yeah. It works, guys. Yeah, it does. All right. Anyway. All right. So I got this Oh, breaking news yeah, question from uh, <laughs> some, some fan named Adam Johnson. Yeah. Then let's talk about the difference between uh, what, uh, Keymod and Mlock. Yeah. Uh, I posted a picture on social media. Oh, God, get that out of here. And uh, I just said, Keymod is greater than Mlock. Just to kind of revive the old fight and the debate, just to be a, a dink. But, uh, there's so, I probably truly, so many people that are into guns now who are, are even watching this that don't even know what key mod is. Yeah, that's well, true, you, too. You touched on it, too, because I don't have a ton of experience with key mod. I remember when it came out. Because you're 19. Cause, yeah, because I'm 12. How old are you? I'll be 26 at the end of next month. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm 26. I'm 25 and a half. Yeah, I'm, tw- <laughs> yeah, I'm 25 right now. Um, but... I remember when it came out, but I was still a little sprout. 
Yeah. Um, so I have only ever heard the shit talking on Keymod and only heard heard from a guy, from another guy, whatever. But you said that there was some people weren't using proper tolerances, and that's when you were seeing some failures. Like I think the yeah, torque. I, I don't. On yeah, torque for sure. I don't know. If oh, I said torque. Tolerances. I'm sorry. You did say torque. I, I stand corrected. I think. So the reason why I think Keymod is better, uh, it uses tapers in the front and again taper 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 but it uses tapers in the front portion the smaller portion um and it will have a better lockup at lower torque value so if you follow the proper torque value you're not going to damage the rail and you're not going to damage the accessories the reason why i think key mod failed quote is a couple reasons one creative freedoms in how key mod accessories were made because it wasn't protected by like a TDP like Magpul's M-Lock. And so I think people were over torquing things or torquing it properly, but those accessories yeah, didn't have the, they didn't have the proper recoil lug on it yeah, to interface of, with the back feature so that your accessories were falling off. Kind of like Uncle Mike's like yeah, yeah you, you need a print to make stuff. Yeah. Um so yeah. That's where Voltor, I think that's how you say it. Yeah. That's how where they failed in that they, well, they open sourced. Well, you know, John, Johnny Novesky was mm. part of it too. Yeah. So it was Eric the, it Kinsel. was the two of them. Yeah, yeah. And Eric. Yeah. So I think had it been controlled like the M lock uh prints are, like you have to apply for the the license to to um license it. Uh, yeah, it's all it's always a thing, kinda yeah. like what we're doing with eight six and it's the same thing Magpul did a good job with M lock open source mm-hmm. and they make you engrave their little logo on it mm-hmm. and they'll give you all the drawings and it's easy to use. Yeah. You know, M lock, I think, you know, they did it because they could injection mold it into plastic mm-hmm. too. Um, but it has to be thicker and stuff. I mean, that's why our Q cert handguard for the fix with like 39 additional stainless steel pieces in it or whatever the number is, is still two ounces lighter than M lock. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, M lock, I mean, they're both okay, but they suck compared to QCert. I've had terrible luck with M-Lock. Yeah, really? I, I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's a pain in the ass to actually put something on. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I put a flashlight on the other day, and I thought it was on, one of those cloud defense ones. Yep. Put it on a honey badger, and the fucking thing fell off. Yeah. And I was like, I just torqued that down. Yeah. Because <laughs> I torqued it. All I was doing is tightening the nuts through the yeah, key and mod, just and they didn't spin and lock. Spinning and spinning and spinning. So you didn't have that issue with key mod, which I appreciated. Mm. So inherently, you would say key mod is a good system? You know, I think you it's know a fantastic what, system. You know why I think, number one. Compared to M-Lock. Yeah. Here's why I think key mod wasn't successful. Mm. Magpul just had a lot of marketing yes. power, and they made the accessories. and. Well, they got SOCOMs buy-in. That came later, but you you know what I think the biggest hindrance with, uh, and this is why Square Dropped happened at AAC. Mm. The biggest problem with Keymod is it's fucking ugly. Yeah. It's ugly. It It looks like little dicks. Yeah. Mm. Well, okay. Um, From far away. I don't know. Even from right here. Yeah. I'm used to to looking at them. Trust me. (laughs) Jesus. Ooh, well, new podcast (laughs) starting. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's also, it's ugly. I think it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. I think that's stupid, but I think it's true. I mean, I, but it was a culmination of things. They didn't present it properly. They didn't mm-hmm. give all the specifications. 
They didn't control the market. And I think, yeah. it, you know, Magpul is in a great position. They make like tons of plastic stuff mm-hmm. that's cheap. And so, oh, we can do all these accessories. Well, we can't put key mod into plastic handguards mm-hmm. and stuff. So, hey, we need another design. And they did a key mod that goes on a rectangular, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what would you call that? Like a just a hole in the handguard. But so they could injection mold it in plastic. And it is better looking because Magpul is very good traditionally with the style and aesthetics. Yeah. We B- love Magpul. BCM launched a line of plastic handguards with key mod, and, but they had a sheet metal inside the plastic. Yeah, it's just too ass. complicated. Yeah, it's too much. Too yeah. much. Yeah. We like but Magpul. Anyway. Well, right keep, after our well, Magpul. Well, the Honey Badger has I love M-Lock Magpul. on it. Right. So people are probably like, well, why does that have them? Well, I, I agree. But if everybody yeah. looks at the advanced armament mm-hmm. handguard, it is M-lock. very close to M-Lock, and yeah. that's prior M-Lock. Yeah. That's what we were doing at AAC. Aesthetics choice. And it was kind of, it was going to be a, uh, the attachment was going to be a turnbuckle it's situation like, like the handguard. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, that it looks almost like it right there. Yeah, and, and that might be the cut that was in the Honey Badger handguard. I don't know. Mm. This rifle's cool. So this was, um, it's a Nevesky rifle, obviously. But uh, I don't know. They made like six or ten of them. Uh for like Johnny's friends after he died. And so they sent me this one. And it's so cool because as soon as I got it, all I did was hunt with it for a year or so. Cause I was like, man, you know, and I'm probably the only guy that shot it, but I'm like, Johnny would have wanted people to shoot kill shit with it. And five, that's five, what six. I did. Yeah. It's five, five, six, 16 inch, five, five, six. Um, you know, and Johnny was cool too. He was like the first guy that did a, a lightweight four end, um, you know, using, he used key mod, um, I like the gun a lot. Yeah, it's crazy what happens when things are designed based on the end user and not just trying to do something new. Market research. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's important. Yeah, so that comes to some of these other questions that are in here. But you know, with QCert, basically, so with MLock and all these other things, you have the screws, but there's some there's some blind part of it where you're working with a piece that's inside the handguard that could drop off, or maybe it's locked in, maybe it's not. With QCert, you have the pieces mounted directly into the handguard permanently. So all you do is you stick a rail or whatever accessory in there. It has the lug on it. It has two holes. You have screws. You torque them down. Bam, you're done. Stainless steel inserts. So 900 pounds of pull per section. It's way stronger than anything else on the market. And lighter. Yeah, it's still lighter. Lighter and, you know, and mainly because we're not trying to put shit in plastic. Yeah. All right. So, all right, moving on. 308 subs. We already talked about yeah, this. Yeah, I think about we just they get rid of that one. They're fun. All right. So, um, yeah. All right. Novelty. Oh, hunting story. Somebody want to know a hunting story. Unless you guys have one. I'll oh, yeah. I said it was your best one. Adam does a lot of hunting, but he admittedly does not do a lot of killing. I do a lot of sitting in trees. <sighs> My best hunting story. You've told some good ones. Yeah. I, I just go check out remember. some previous podcasts. I think there's the one called... I shot Godzilla or something. Yeah, yeah. There's some good ones. Yeah. There, so. yeah. That's a good hunting episode. Yeah. yeah. Go Have make I your... told the story about when the deer almost ran me over at your farm on the podcast? No. No. I, I don't I've never even heard, heard of heard this yeah. story. I've told you about it before. Well, maybe I maybe was drinking. We were drinking. No, I was, we were hunting in Georgia at your farm, and I was sitting on, a, we'll call it a path. Definitely wasn't a road or a trail. Um, it was a paved road. Had <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a gun. I was, just... I was sitting on the wood line. Your uh, nephew told me to sit there if I wanted to shoot a deer. Okay. So I did, and I did see a deer, and I heard just some trampling through the woods just to the left of me, 
and it got louder and louder and louder. And then I looked over and a brown blur jumped over me and I jumped off my ass. As Are fast, you serious? Swear to God. <laughs> did you run yeah. away or did you try to shoot? No, me? I jumped up and turned around and had my gun up <laughs> yeah. and I was like, it's gone. Yeah. It, the fuck was you gone. didn't look until it was, it was on top. Jumping I was kind of like, you. I was like, there's something in the woods. Oh, you around. don't want to move I'm around. like, yeah. I'm from New Hampshire. So usually that's a squirrel. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like, okay. So don't drink and hunt. Yeah. Basically. Basically. <laughs> um, yeah, the fucking thing jumped right over me. <laughs> not know I've never had that happen. I texted, That's what I tell you. You got to get out I there. texted the group because we're all in different spots. I was like, I shit you not. I just almost got run over by a deer. Yeah, but that's different than the story you told because that could have yeah. been a lot of things. Like yeah, yeah. you, a deer actually jumping over you. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. I have been hunting 10,000 times. Never yeah. had that happen. That would be awesome. I'd fucking love that. That's the second time of almost physically come in contact with a deer you need to shoot <laughs> sooner like what the fuck are you waiting feeding them at york's no, wild kingdom the first time completely different thing <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. first time i was in the marine corps and we were running uh, uh, in formation yeah. through the woods and a deer just ran straight through the formation yeah, yeah. the first time I i've saw seen a lot of videos and stuff yeah. like that the first so. time i saw a mule deer was when i was in the military in utah we had them on yeah they, you wouldn't see a mule deer, well, deer here because they're not here right but the first time i saw it i was like I've seen some decent sized deer. It's cool because they hop instead of running. Yeah. Yeah. They're bigger, but not a ton, but it's interesting because you know, a deer runs, but did you know this? Like mule deer when they fucking get going. So they trot just like a normal deer, but when they run, they hop Mm. like a, like a kangaroo or something. Mm -hmm. It's it's so bizarre. And yeah, like why? I I was just shocked at how, like all of them that I saw were big. Like there were a bunch of does and a couple bucks and just, I had not seen Normally you'll see a big deer and a bunch of smaller ones, but yeah. out there. Like, antelopes do that too, right? Yeah. 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 Does a Neil guy do that? It's a big no, ass antelope. I've never seen. No, they no. run. Mm. Well, I don't. Well, I mean, maybe pronghorn, they kind of hop, mm. but um, no, do they? Pronghorn? Yeah, they look like it. I think they run. I, they may hop at like a medium speed. Mm. I think they run speed goats. If people have. I don't know. I should know this. If I hadn't had a couple drinks, I probably wouldn't If know people that. have hunting stories, they can send them into the podcast email and we'll we'll decipher if they're real or not. Maybe if we'll they're tell really them. good, maybe we'll call you and you can tell the story yourself. Oh, oh that would yeah. be fun. I'd yeah. like that. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. All right. Adam. Yeah. CEO. Yep. What does that say? Bill Days. Bill Days coming oh. back? Question mark. Sure. <laughs> sure. Okay. Details. Next question. No, All right. <laughs> I don't know when. There's still a thing called COVID nineteen. Yeah, the pandy's still happening. We have pandy. The Jesus pandy. Christ. Is that what we call it now? Yeah, pandemic pandy. Whatever. You're not young yeah. enough to talk like that. Yeah, they'll come back for sure. I want them to come back. It's a lot of fun. It'll probably be a little bit different this time around. It'll be like after hours on a weekend, so we're not interrupting production because it yeah, is it is I do a distraction. Agree with that. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. All right, seventy degree selectors. Who knows the answer? I mean, I was, okay, Jay. Just real pong, reverse, real quick. Beep, beep, beep. There are still people who are signed up for build days who are just waiting for us to. <laughs> yeah, you don't on. get to, idiot. <laughs> so we'll, we'll take we have care. to do them at the house, like the podcast. <laughs> We're going to reschedule all those people first before we start. Taking Let's just on. do them here. We got plenty of room. I live in a fucking hotel. Well, we we talked about one. In Part the, of it's coming to the factory though, and so, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, we talked about like them wanting to, to do us. a podcast too, anyway. So. Like once they do a build or oh yeah we'll definitely we could have see if they'd want to come do one here we'd bring one of the engineers here they can be like they'd really do a podcast really short form podcast where I can we just yeah. cook and steak and eggs yeah. yeah I like steak and eggs yeah you make a good because breakfast sandwich too you make yeah a yeah great breakfast sandwich really you guys are spoiled yeah he does hmm. he we moved a safe for him and he made a made a couple of us some hmm. sandwiches oh, that were great I forgot about that oh yeah 
Very welcome. Okay, I'll get after that next week's podcast. You guys will have some breakfast here. Pretty great. I don't don't say that because Ivana she she made us so much shit. If she made crepes today. There. Oh God, they were so good. I just had another good. one when I went to take a pee. I'm mm. gonna when we're done. With it. Um, to answer your seventy degree seven degree selector. Yeah. See, forty five. It's cool. It's convenient. It's nice. But it's not always safe. No. 70 degree, it's the shallowest you can get, but it's always safe. And mm. it may be always safe in our guns, but... Why isn't 45 always safe? Well... And I know the answer. The, the mil spec tolerance, if you take everything to the extreme, you don't get the sear engagement, and the gun can fire with it on safe. Not in all receivers, but yeah. in extreme cases. So we build so that everything and design so that everything can always go together. So it's GD&T and... Mm -hmm. You know, most companies, I mean, God, it's it's embarrassing that most companies in our industry don't even have mechanical engineers, much less ones that have experience with this sort of, you know, tolerancing and GD&T to where they can do the tolerance stack. I think that's a point that a lot of people don't, a lot of gun owners don't understand is that, like, Noveski's done a good job of super tight fit stuff, and they're, they're kind of known for that. But the actual mill standard, if you were to look at the... Oh. If you were to look at the M16 drawing, which you shouldn't be able to because we're not allowed to have it. Um, well, lots of people do because the, they inadvertently released it. The tolerances are wild. Like even just the the top rail, you're allowed like 70 thou of, of movement back and forth. Like, But you know, guys like Johnny, who mechanically inclined, brilliant guy, not a degreed engineer. So he, you know... His are probably the forty-five degree selector is probably always safe in the receivers that he right. made. Mm -hmm. But if they were to take it out of that and throw it in their their DPMS or it's something, not always going to be in spec, right? Well, and that comes with mass production having to crank them out like Colt FN, all those mil big military contracts. Yeah. Nevesky could never do that. They do smaller no. scale stuff. But it's the same thing when people talk about Knight's Armament silencers and the attachment method. It's loose and sloppy, and the silencer it's like three MOA. Well, the the SOP mod contract about the time you were born, that's the allowance. That was the objective was, okay, we want three MOA of accuracy, three MOA of shift. Mm -hmm. And so the Knight's Mount meets that. And, you know, it's that's like another thing. The previous podcast we did, if you want better, change the requirement. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. It's have higher standards. All right. So this is probably me. Big bang party story. So it advanced. When did you go to a bang party? Yeah. So I did these parties. The season finale party. Two, oh, two or three years <laughs> at Advanced Armament right before I sold. Maybe the last, I think the last year when I sold, we, we did one. We had already planned it, but then I had, I sold in October. Shot Show was in January. So then I had to get the board of Cerberus to approve it, which I think I told the story before. Ed Renzi, who was the uh, CEO of McDonald's and had retired, an old guy, funny as shit. So he's in his 70s, and uh, you know the parties are like a quarter of a million dollars a piece. So what I thought for SHOT Show was we do our booth and we have a party. We don't have some Glock dinner where we serve you steak and it's formal and you sit down and it's boring and we ask you to sign up for shit. All it is, customer appreciation. We're going to be cool and awesome. It's going to be a real party. It's going to be fun. Because there's two kinds of people that go to SHOT Show in Vegas that work there. Me, never drink, didn't party. Didn't go out because it is a long, long week. It's the most exhausting week of my life or my year, every year. 
And they're the people that are getting away from their wives. They're getting away from their families and they go bananas in Vegas. And they're like, whatever, snorting Coke, drinking, partying all night. It's, it's just like the two kinds of people that go. And so I was like, we're going to have a party. And, you know, and it was easy for me because I didn't even drink. And it's going to be a great time, and we're going to invite people. We're going to make it exclusive, and it was a huge hit. We did it in the the Rio, uh, the Voodoo Lounge, which is like on the 50-something floor. It's on two floors and big balconies. And we had like Cirque Solo. We had uh, music perform. Like It was seriously the best parties I'd ever been to. So we did two or three with AAC. Then we did one with Q. And I remember, I think the last one, maybe it was the first one at AAC. So I brought like my mother-in-law, my mother, my grandmother, who is, she is the best time in the entire world. She was a pinup in the fifties, completely wild, different from the rest of my family. I think I met her. We went to the steakhouse. Yeah. 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 In Tampa. Yeah, yeah. That's where she lives. Jean. Yeah. yeah. She's sweetie. So she's fucking hilarious. Um, so she loved the party. And so I was super into it. And so this is before Mini Kiss, the uh, Little People Kiss band, is before they were on the Super Bowl halftime thing. And we had this Guns N' Roses all-chick tribute band and then Butcher Babies, if you Google that. It's like two... Yeah, pl- Google, Google and Butcher Babies. <laughs> I tell you, they are, they are two like... Say Butcher uh, Babies band. Ex-Playmates, it's like some kind of death metal. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The music... I wasn't into it, but crowd favorite, and they perform last. But man, mini kiss! Oh my god! Why are they not called smooch? Mini <laughs> kiss. That's a good one. But they were so terrible. They're the worst musicians. <laughs> it was terrible. Is that part of the fun though? Oh, it was, and yeah. you know because they're little and they have like one beer, their shit face. They get up there. The music is just an abomination. Um, and then they were like hitting on all, it was like the greatest time because there I am probably the only person to play sober and they're hitting on all the chicks <laughs> and it must work sometimes. I mean, they're, some of them are literally like two and a half feet tall. Um, their music was terrible. The guns and roses chick band phenomenal. They were so good. That was a good one. The Cirque du Soleil is like tribal Cirque du Soleil. So like fire dancing, all this weird stuff, great parties. Um, but my story from there, other than that, my grandmother had the greatest time. My mom's a good time too. She had a great time. Um, they were jam packed. Like Lou Ferrigno was the first person, the incredible Hulk. He's the first person that showed up at the party and the security wouldn't let him in. I had to let him <laughs> in. They told me like, uh, well, you know, they called me and I'm upstairs. Somebody's trying to get in. Blah, blah, blah. And, and then, uh, and he's like, he's asking if he can come up, like, blah, blah, blah. And I got the feeling he was someone like, that thought he was special. And then they tell me who it is. I'm like, the how the hell would you not let <laughs> Lou Ferrigno, the incredible Hulk up? Like I was, Oh my God. It, it was a great moment for me. I loved meeting him. Um, but you know, he, he didn't want to be in a crowd cause he's deaf and like everybody asking him for shit. So he just wanted to go up there and like find a place to kind of hide out till the party started. So, you know, what's so funny too. So you, this is 10 or 12 years ago. So Eric Graves, soldier systems, who's a great friend of ours, 10 or 12 years ago. That's when, um, What's what's the Las Vegas movies that are so popular with Bradley Cooper, and um, Zach Galifianakis? Hangover. Hangover. Yeah. I think Hangover or Hangover Two had just come out, and they were biggest movie in the world. And I turn around the party, and Zach Galifianakis is standing in the party, and I'm like, "Man, we have a party!" <laughs> like Zach Galifianakis showed up, 
It was Eric Graves. He looked exactly <laughs> like him at the time. <laughs> like the ginger beard, the ginger hair, yeah. like, you know, like you know, 30 pounds past his prime. It was, it, it was great. So one of the major gun companies, the CEO and founder, got a, and I probably have told the story actually in a previous podcast. What does the company rhyme with? Um, oh. So, <laughs> do, do, you just, do you just say, so... Is that what you're yeah, <laughs> it rhymes with the real name. <laughs> to be fair, there's nothing else that rhymes with not. I don't know. You're, what, what What are you, like Eminem? You don't know. So anyway. I'll think about it. We'll say his name is, his name rhymes it, with. <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, you know, at the time of the party, he's probably my age. He always wore a bad suit. Nice guy. I like him a lot. He was bald like me, but still thought he wasn't bald like holding me on. He, he's holding on i mean there's probably a journey song about it but so anyway he got very upset because there was you know a 20 25 year old supermodel that just happened to identify his personality from across the room and attach themselves to him because you know he's sitting in the vip section with his suit and is like twenty five thousand dollar whatever and uh so gets back to his room later that night and realizes he doesn't have his wallet with him anymore. And is upset with me for hiring professional women. <laughs> Which we absolutely because I controlled it, did not do that. But it's you know, it's a thousand person party in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm pretty sure Victoria's Secret models have never been attracted to you in the past at the gas station. <laughs> Like, you're 47 years old. You ought to fucking know better. And uh, got rolled, lost his wallet, all his credit cards. Somebody racked up a bill in a matter of a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And it was my fault. So, anyway, they were a good time, man. Little Daniel Horner, who just won this new uh, working for SIG, shout mm-hmm. out. Probably best shooter in the world. Mm-hmm. Can win with anything. I think he made all the shots closing the bolt, but with the cross and some new hunting division of some hunting, like shooting competition, like whatever, who cares? Um, yeah. So he had a great time too. And, and, uh, had such a good time. He was a young fellow at the time, um, got on the elevator and then kind of passed out. So he went up and down <laughs> on the 50 <laughs> floors for like three hours <laughs> or somebody picked him up. Cause you know, a little fella mm-hmm. took him to his room. Great time. That's funny. All right. So speed round. Yep. Wait, you said Colin has a question. What's he got? Yeah, we got a question from Colin. Yeah. Who's Colin? Colin's our uh, our sales marketing guy. He's he's our house husband. He is. He does a little bit of everything. Just had a baby. Congratulations, Colin. Yeah. Yes, and Abby. Congratulations. Oh, oh Abby had the baby, actually. Abby did have the On baby. On her birthday. Yep. Really? You know I yeah. called it. Thank you, everyone. Yep. Oh, you're genius. I've never, <laughs> fucks I've, that I've never, <laughs> never known anybody to have a, a mom and a baby with the same birthday. Seems terrible. Yeah. Depends what kind of oh, party is it good? Is that know. a good thing? Don't know. I haven't done it. Abby oh. likes to party, so that kid's yeah, in, that yeah. kid's in luck. Um, party girl. Yeah. I was expecting like how do magnets work, something like that. But Colin had a good one. He how do magnets work? Nobody knows. Um, magnets. How do they work? Uh, so Colin says, "What's the closest thing to real magic? What products amaze and astound you the most?" In yeah. our industry. Well, I think he just means like yeah. What like what product? Maybe even outside the industry. What products? 
just astonish you. You think, wow, this is this is the closest thing to magic. I don't know. It's it's such For me, a it's, magnet. it's a rabbit hole if you go outside the industry. Night well, vision is kind of magical. Yeah, night vision is thermal. Night vision. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a good call. To me, thermal. Like I, I don't use night vision a ton. I use thermal a lot. Um, it's probably the best call. Thermal. Awesome. Or Q silencers. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, I don't know. That's funny because I said that, I think, in a previous podcast, like magic ain't cheap or whatever. And, you know, I know what we pay the freaking engineers. I have high expectations. But to develop something awesome that you want to use all the time that changes the way you shoot or hunt or your life. I think a good subsonic, whether it be 22 or 300 blackout with a good silencer, always puts a smile on your face 100%. no matter who you are no matter how many yeah. times you've done it and that's pretty magical 100 percent. yeah that's true it does it, it is a smile with the trigger yeah but yeah thermal and night vision is it mm-hmm. seems like magic mm-hmm. i like that answer mm-hmm. okay all right speed round speed round here we go explain the erector nine erector 22 and nine mil next with a booster uh, bigger diameter, 10 baffles, stainless steel blast baffle for a serialized portion, wipe compatible front cap, lightest. Or uh, heaviest. No, it's no, not it's that heavy. I know, it's Even the full figure, lightest, lightest, shortest, lightest. longest. Yeah, I don't Eight know. Eight ounces. I mean, loudest and quietest 9mm silencer on the market. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. But you also can do three log, fixed weapon, spacer, cherry bomb compatible. It'll, so Yeah, it's going to ship with, not to interrupt you, sorry, it's going to ship with the half 28 uh, piston. Yep, booster well, for so yeah, browning boot, tight, sure. tilted barrel, pissed glocks. Nielsen device? Nielsen, yeah. yeah, Nielsen was actually, yeah. I think, Mickey Finn's at Qualitech when they developed the booster. He was his attorney's she wife was Swedish or something. It was her maiden name. Oh. It's, it's some stupid story is where Nielsen That's comes cool from. cool little Easter egg. Yeah, um, yeah half-28 uh, booster piston whatever um a metric 13 and a half by one left hand will be available we'll have fixed mounts available not mm-hmm. not um spacers no you know? spacer we're not going to do that we're just going to do a fixed mount oh, so okay. that's the right thing to do right. it makes it lighter because you don't have to have the whole piston system oh, true 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 yep um and then we'll have a cherry bomb <clears throat> cherry bomb compatible mount for it as well plan b yep yep oh eight but, ounces fully assembled Crazy. It's awesome. And that was a terrible speed round. But Okay. Yeah. Next. Why doesn't Honey Badger use Q-Cert? We did not we did answer not. this, Mother Trucker. We danced trucker. around it. Mm-mm. Oh, I, I just heard Adam say it. So Yeah. Oh, okay, Jay. So we're going to mm. pipe down right now. We're going <laughs> to let the people in the know do the talking. We're going to slow down for the speed round. <laughs> so, Adam, why don't we use Q-Cert on the Honey Badger? And when are we? And God dang it. Well, there are challenges that... Uh, come with a Q-Cert compatible AR handguard. Um, what is that? What is the challenge? What is an AR? Oh. What, what is the question? <laughs> what, what are the challenges? <laughs> um, you get into top rail uh, issues, making sure the top rail of the handguard is uh, the same height as the receiver. Yep. So coming up with an effective solution for that, that is not that will be accepted on the marketplace, I think, is a challenge. It's going to require a bigger inside diameter to accommodate the channels that the Q-certs 
right in on the inside, the anti-rotation yes. channels. So the Q-cert is a stainless steel piece with the threads mm-hmm. with an anchor that are pressed in from the rear. Yeah, that so make it so strong and awesome. We wanted to do a silencer that would still accept the inch and a half diameter Honey Badger silencer. It doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing because that inside diameter is going to have to be sized for that silencer, which means the outside diameter is going to get bigger, which then translates to not a lot of room up top for the top rail. So getting around all of that is a challenge. We will find a creative solution for it, and we will have handguards this year. Oh, so excited about that. All right. Oh, this just says import. It should say important. Dyslexia. Important features, priorities, and silencer design. So just pretend that says important. Thomas, can you, like, Photoshop import, import ant in there? Yeah, put an ant in there. Mm. Features, priorities, tapers, volume, lightweight. That is, it, the most important feature <laughs> is the one that fits the particular use case for that silencer. There it is. Why don't we do a piston honey badger was a question. Why do you need one? Well, yeah. that's the question. Like People ask that and they think automatically, well, a piston's more reliable. Like, No, it's not. It's significantly heavier. It's a lot heavier. It's typically less accurate. Typically less accurate. Yep. Um, moving parts a lot over more the moving barrel. Parts uh, that cost just goes to the customer, and it would have to be proprietary too, right? Like I don't think there's a standard piston. Well, there's not, and, and we know which we talked about in, in a couple of the last podcasts with the SOCOM award, the eventual mainstream award of the MCX over the Honey Badger, which the Honey Badger, you know, was over the other twelve guns. Um, the Honey Badger was four times more reliable, and it's a impingement gun right. so we're talking 300 blackout impingement like why do you want a piston most of the crap comes down the barrel doesn't go through the gas system into the gun that's how you get crap in your actions back through your barrel what is the argument for having a piston rifle like if there was an advantage what people is it? never say it i think they say it they throw it out there and they're all aloof like I'm so in the know, you know, piston, but I don't think they fucking know. But I think what they're trying to say is reliability. And there is not a direct correlation with a piston and reliability of the gun. And 300 blackout in the honey badger, it's quite the opposite. Is it gas coming back into the gun? Is that better off on piston because it vents forward of the gas block or around the gas block instead of inside the gun? How'd that work out for the MPX? Oh, I'm not saying it's the right thing, but I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. Yeah, I just see people say, "Well, it's easier to clean my bolt because there's less fouling, and it's it's mm-hmm. if I need to pop the top and pull my bolt out for some reason, it's not hot." <laughs> okay, we gotta get better at this. I'm hungry. Let's. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Jay's getting. We'll angry. see you next week. Bye.